With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. I want to begin this episode by posing the question, how much time do you dedicate to the recovery aspects of your training and racing? If you find that you wake up stiff, sore, and find it difficult to move, you better sit tight because we've got some splaining to do. And I have Dr. Tim Samansky. He is more commonly referred to as the WAD doc. He's received his doctorate from New York Chiropractic College. Whew, that was hard to get out. And right. <laughs> he's a certified strength and conditioning specialist, and he's a self-proclaimed mad scientist. i got to get that out there. He's got an amazing daily video blog, which I was kind of thumbing through, and just some amazing stuff on lifting techniques for CrossFitters, mobility, nutrition. Who's, who's ferreting around? Stop that. Uh, nobody. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, I've got uh, Dr. Tim, and he's going to say hello to you in a second. And of course, I've got my dear friend and amazing athlete, OCR extraordinaire, Reebok Spartan Pro, ultra endurance athlete Hunter McIntyre with us. Gentlemen, say, say hello, guys. Howdy, doody. How's, how's everybody doing? <laughs> All right, so uh, let's, Hunter, since you kind of had the 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 concern relative to what elites need to be thinking about prep post, kind of throw that query out onto the floor so we can play with it. Well, I think it's good to target both of you guys because you both have your specialties. You know, you being running form, and Rich and uh, Tim, the Wad Doc. You know, you being such a specialist in understanding the body and prepping the body for work and also cooling the body down and recovering the body from the work that you've just done. I think that if you look at great sports like, you know, running and CrossFit and football or whatever these major sports are, I think you see that these major named sports, they have so much support and like, you know, especially in the CrossFit world because it's so much self-promotion and like, you know, there's all these newfound people like yourself, the WAD doc, um, you're you're basically leading the way and teaching the people how to prepare themselves for this sport. But we don't have anything like that for the trail running and OCR community that I think is, is uh, giving a lot of valuable information to get people ready and 
uh, staying healthy in this sport. And like, I've knocked myself out of the sport for nearly eight months because of IT band thing. So Tim, how would you answer such a query? <laughs> wow. Throw a big question at me like that. right there. <laughs> 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 um, you know, like, like many big questions like that, I, I don't think that there's one specific answer, but what I can say is that in general, OCR is a young sport, just like CrossFit is a young sport. If we even take things like football, football itself is a young sport, and we could see that people are still trying to figure out safety precautions and um, and ways to adapt that to make it safer for the, the you know the participants. Um, so I don't think by any any means we're gonna we're gonna solve this issue in a day or so. But um, I can say this, and I, this is the one thing that I see throughout all sports because I do work predominantly with CrossFit athletes, but I treat marathon runners, I treat OCR guys, and and gals, and I, I do a lot of gymnastics and swimming. Like so, there's a pretty broad scope of uh, the people that I that I get to work with. And the things that I see over and over again are two things: is we have zero preparation for what we're going to do because we assume um, that. And, and I'm not sure. I, I can't tell you about the demographic of this. Sorry if I go off too far on a tangent. I'm not sure like the the age group, but at least as far as the CrossFit world goes, the age group is is generally older than the high school participant or any other sport that you might have saw. So people assume that they can, you know, train or at least uh, go after the sport like they did when they were in high school. So their bodies are different. Their their ability to adapt is a little bit different. So we're limited by two major things. Uh, one, we don't, pre- we, we don't prepare correctly. And two, the biggest limiter in performance is recovery. And I don't think that, I think that's the, if, if I can get one thing across to anybody, I think that would be like my defining point for everyone is everyone thinks that it's the, it's the workout that makes you better when actually the workout is the stimulus that allows you to grow, that allows you to adapt to what you're trying to do. So if you never recover from that, if you never allow yourself to recover, you don't have you know, a chance in the world of, of reaching your potential. And yeah, certain people, yeah, I'm certain starting people to like, notice that stuff so much more as I get more in tune with these workouts because I, I'm dying these days, man. Right, I'm, and I'm like dying. somebody like you who's who's naturally just gifted, like genetically gifted, um, you're gonna be able to to work a lot harder, a lot faster, and you know, kind of like supersede that bell curve. But that doesn't mean that um, that you're still reaching your maximum potential, right? Um, and an example I can give to that is I have a, a female athlete I worked with a couple of years ago. Uh, we'll let her rename anonymous, but very, very strong girl. And in the CrossFit world, you know, a girl that snatches, you know, the, the Olympic lifting of snatches, you know, 190, 200 pounds, they're, they're in the top 1%, right? And I talked to her coach because she was having some, some difficulties with her elbows, right? And uh, it was because of a, a fault in technique. And her coach said to me, said straight out, said, listen, um, a person, a, a girl that, that snatches 190 pounds doesn't have a problem with her pull. And I said, that is the most idiotic thing I've ever heard somebody say. I said, that's not it at all. She's just extraordinarily talented. So it's not that, she, I said, a girl that has an early pull doesn't reach her full potential. It doesn't matter what her potential is. So, so what if her 70% is better than 99% of the rest of the crowd? All right. It's still her 70% and she still has so much left to go. And I think that's the case with a lot of these, these runners out there as well. You know, Tim, yeah. I, you, you couldn't have spoke to me more clearly. I deal with this all the time. And 
I do it from two different paradigms. I look at metabolic consequence of work, and I look at mechanical movement patterns. And I'll get someone that throws up a really serious VO2, which indicates that there's a tremendous amount of potential, and or I'll find somebody that can move very, very well and beat most of the guys in the neighborhood when they run. But I'm looking at their movement patterns, and it's just a matter of physics. They're just not putting their body in the most appropriate place at the most appropriate time, and they're working against themselves. And they're either strong enough to overcome the way they're moving, but, yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm glad to hear you yeah. say that. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 all about movement efficiency. It doesn't matter what sport you're doing it in. You can see it in any sport out there, but the more efficient you are, you have two benefits for that. You get to save more energy for that next movement. And, you know, CrossFit, we use the word rep, but really running is the same thing too. So it's putting one foot in front of the other. If you can mechanically, uh, if you can f- find the ultimate efficiency to run in, then running becomes easier. You can run faster, longer, you know, and that doesn't, and at the same time, not only could you do that with less uh, effort, but it's also going to take less wear and tear in your body. And less cost. Yeah, so, less cost. Someone who's listening, what do you think some of like the, the fundamental things you'll notice with any kind of athlete, whether they're Olympian level or just an age group athlete that people are, are, are not aware of when they just start to get heavy duty into training, like they just, they don't, pay attention i mean from rich's side i'm sure you're paying attention more so of uh the running form but like you know from a physiological standpoint is it the the tightness of the anterior hip or something or is it have to do with uh you're always seeing people torque their upper body too much rich you always talk about that like what do you find in athletes that you continue to work on that is uh weak points uh are you saying for me or for rich i mean definitely for you. me it's it's posterior hip complex, and I say that collectively because we sit a lot as a society. Even the most active athletes out there generally sit more than the people, like our predecessors of 30 years ago. Um, and it's just because we have computers now, and we have cars now, and we have like you know things like that were the simplest tasks in the world took so much more energy. For me to do a book report, I'm not that old. I'm I'm 32 years old, right? But when I had to do a book report, I had to walk to the library and look at the Dewey Decimal System and walk upstairs and grab a book and, you know, actually read it and, and do that. Now I just ask Siri and she, uh, <laughs> and she writes it for me, you know, like, so like the amount of movement that I do nowadays is, is so much uh, less than what I might've done 30 years ago. So what I see is I see this glute amnesia. We kind of refer to it as um, like where people forget how to use, you know, hip extension. And that, I mean, I'm sure as rich can contribute to that relays to so much. If our hips themselves aren't strong and aren't don't create a sturdy platform, I mean, above and below, we got we have issues, you know. Yeah, and I got to tell you, Hunter and I had a conversation uh, not but a week ago about this very thing. Uh, I came across something in my research. Uh, I asked Siri, and she told me what this was all about. But uh, <laughs> no, but uh, have you heard of the extensor paradox? Um, I have not. I mean, maybe I have. It's just yeah, not the way it is. Dude, you're out of the loop. I'm, I don't I, know. I guess. I got the wrong That's guy. That's the second thing we've caught you on. <laughs> you, you know what else? I, I was also I <laughs> really strange uh, tangent. I've never watched any Star Wars movies. Oh, so, no. <laughs> so I've been told about how, how uh, I don't know, out of the loop I am with that as well. Right. So I have a 17-hour flight to Kuwait this week. 
Uh, I plan on I plan on getting my Star Wars on. I guess there you go. Them all out. <laughs> so this extensor paradox was really interesting. I was doing some research on just common running mechanics, and I, I was actually looking at finding some really interesting tidbits in respect to the whole kinematics of dealing with gravity and force production, things like this. Being the geek that I am, sitting here at my desk for too long and causing myself to to lose very valuable time in my life. But um, this extensor paradox was measuring EMG studies of where force is being generated through the gate cycle. And what it indicated was that where we have forever been telling people the importance of you know, you know this what they call triple extension, pushing off the ground and activating the glute and so on and so forth. But they're saying that at the, at the point where you're actually getting your foot just ahead of your center of mass and making contact with the ground, there's really little to no activation in the glute, quadriceps, calf, or anything. It's just it's like you, there's this momentary shutdown in, in activation of muscle at that point until you kind of get your thigh behind your torso. In other words, get some hip extension. Right. And it started to drive me crazy because I'm going, God, you know how in the, I've been telling people to da 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 da, and it occurred to me that in flight when your hip is extended. And if you have the capacity to extend your hip and activate your glute, there's some repayment. You get that eccentric energy that's going to draw that knee up and forward to reset your stride frequency. And so it wasn't even a function of whether you're making contact and pushing off the ground as much as it was the eccentric energy you're gathering from your hips as you get your hip in extension. So I was also looking at, and I don't want to go on to too much of a rant, you know, since we're talking about running for the moment. Yeah. Um, hip angle, the ability to get flexion and extension and all of which is going to occur if you have mobility in your hip is paramount to your ability to gather speed without making mistakes. Because what happens is when people reach their, their limit in hip extension, then the only way they can create more speed is by creating more leg turnover, which is becoming more expensive and which causes more flaws in the way you're moving. People tell me all the time, you know, I ask you what time it is, you build me a clock. Essentially, what I've done is just built you a clock. But going back to the whole importance of opening up the hips and, and doing exercises and preparatory work, which Hunter was alluding towards, to open your hips up and get better at moving and have freedom in your hips is like everything, right? Absolutely. I mean, especially because we spend so much time in a flexed position. We are we're flexor creatures now. So to work into hip extension, those are things that we, uh, you know, try to do, especially through, you know, the rock tape par- paradigms and the, you know, the company rock tape that, that we work for is we teach like how to, to work on improving that hip, ex- well, not just hip extension, but movement in general, you know? Hey guys, um, quick question. Hey, how do you guys both feel about the importance of balance? I mean, you're talking about running and keeping your, uh, your positioning in perfect form and, I'm sure you deal with a ton of athletes, Tim, that whether they be a runner, or an Olympic lifter, crossfitter, rower, whatever, how do you guys feel the importance of balance is? Because I, I just got a slack line, and I've started to mess around with running repeats and then coming back and doing the slack line because I feel that it tightens up my body and makes me more aware of my running form constantly. That's interesting. I, I, I like that idea. Um, see, you learn something new every day, right? Well, 
I'm assuming, Tim, that you're familiar with uh, Dr. Emily. Yeah. Michael? yeah. Okay. And I'm assuming also that you're familiar with some of her work she's been doing lately. Yeah, I mean, on, on and off, but I mean, the, I guess the incorporation of balance there is, is something that we don't necessarily do that much in the power community, but I can see its its importance, especially in the running community. But I guess that goes back to, if you could say more balanced, I mean, I guess you can kind of explore on that. Or, I should it's say. a function of proprioception, right? I had her on the show recently, and just for those that are trying to figure out who I'm talking about, Dr. Emily Spleichel, who is a podiatrist out of Manhattan, and she has a thing known as the Evidence-Based Fitness Academy. She talks a lot about movement accuracy and gaining information from the ground and gathering proprioception through all the sensory receptors in the feet. And so whether you're thinking about it or not, Hunter, when you get barefoot on that slack line, you're Mm -hmm. really engaging a tremendous amount of information, and it's helping you not only to develop what you're suggesting is balance, but you're developing stability in your running. So I think it's going to go a long way to help your running. Aside from whether or not you fall off that slack line, it's going to really make a big difference in your lower limbs. Well, yeah, that's, that's, Go ahead, Tim. No, no, you're good. Go ahead. No, that's just something I was wondering about because, I mean, something that Rich talks about is uh, keeping your center, like, you know, your your feet under your center of mass and watching your running form so much, and you're talking about the hip complex, and I'm trying to understand of ways to constantly keep on reinforcing using your hips and firing your glutes in between running repeats so that you're always engaging that. You're always constantly trying to keep your body, um, I, I guess, just in, in, in a constant range of motion that you're always active. And like the eccentric motion of like, you know, using the power of your foot as it hits the ground, I've been playing, toying with that stuff a little bit. And I just wanted to pick your guys' brains and see if that's something that uh, might address some of these issues. Man, I think that I mean the the thing that that changes your stuff a little bit that's different is the fact that the, the alteration of terrain. So I, I look at a lot of these studies and they're all based in like a very controlled environment, uh, whereas your environment isn't as controlled. So the amount of variation that you're going to have there. Um, I mean, I, I guess, Rich, you'd probably be able to expand on that a little bit more, but I feel like a bunch of those overuse injuries and stuff, uh, especially towards the hip complex and, like, the IT band that, that Hunter was talking about, I mean, that's that also plays a big part to the excessive amount of, you know, up and down that we're doing, you know, especially down. Well, I can tell you that we've, we're doing a, a series of running clinics right now, and we're scheduled to be in San Diego on the 7th of November. I brought Nicodemus Holland, who is an ultra elite ultra marathoner, trail runner, uh, in to, to do the very thing you're talking about, which is expose people to various types of challenges with terrain and uh, running over, you know, rocky objects and, and trying to um, develop balance and develop the appropriate um, running mechanics to, you know, to contend with these different variations in terrain. So, I think you're right. I mean, you could you could do all this really static stuff, or I call it flat response, in a lab, which is not going to be as beneficial. At some point, you've got to get out there and you've got to mess around in the terrain that you're going to be racing on. Otherwise, you're definitely setting yourself up for some surprises come race day. Yeah. Right. Hey, speaking of Nicodemus, Tim, I'm going to throw this at you, and Rich knows about this. Have you ever heard of the event called World's Toughest Mutter? 
Yeah, the 24-hour race, and yes, uh, you kind of do the same thing for as long as you can, right? I think they just have big laps. They change it every year, the location stuff, but it's normally, yeah. I think the last time it was in Germany or something. Is that is that my right with that or wrong? No, it was in <laughs> my, Vegas, but Germany's a cool place. No, I, I, I swear I had a, a client that I obviously was, I was wrong, but... <laughs> Um, I swear I had a client that was going out to Germany. Like I, I thought they changed it every year, and that's where it was. But is it a 24-hour Tough Mudder race? Is that what it is? Yes. So I was going to pick your brain and see what you think. So I'm setting myself up. We're going for the team win. Nicodemus is going for the team win. What would you say some of the fundamentals is you looking at it from an outside standpoint for an athlete getting ready for an event like this, using some of the opportunities that Rock Tape provides and knowledge that you have how would an athlete best prepare themselves to get ready for this? Because we're all meeting up, and we all have different training styles. We all train on different terrain and things like that. But if we can all come together and kind of do a mobility prep, do a rock tape prep, um, maybe just have a couple of t- uh, tools and tricks to make sure we're firing 110% before a huge event like that, like, are there some things that you'd you'd address and tell an athlete? Like, these are some things you 100% need to have nailed down before you go into that event. Um. So, as far as running for that long of a period of time, like you know, there's not a constant run that happens there. So, the first thing that I would suggest for you is to take something like one of the the rock balls that we have there, um, and keep one of those with you because there's not gonna there's no doubt gonna be a time at which you know, something becomes, you know, this repetitive strain injury. It's almost impossible not to because you're working on like a, like a negative, a negative workload, so to speak. You can't recover as fast as you're going to expend energy. So sooner or later, you're going to get some type of tissue breakdown. So if you're able to, you know, use some of the, the rolling techniques that we teach in rock tape for, you know, so for instance, when your hip flexor fires up because you just ran up, um, you know, a mountain for, for the 17th time that day, Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have scheduled breaks in there. Um, so I think the biggest time, the biggest thing that I would, that I would coach without coaching rock tape techniques, so to speak, is mm-hmm. to make sure that you have some of this mobility equipment with you so that you can keep yourself going throughout the race. We talk so much about nutrition and nutritional health, but it's so important to keep your body in a healthy condition as well. So, you know, if you're able to give yourself some self myofascial release, um, with, it's something as simple as a ball, and that's very light to, to you know to keep with you. Um, mm-hmm. That would be my first and foremost thing that I would do uh, is in race maintenance. Um, and I know that sounds weird because you're like, oh, I don't want to spend two minutes, you know, stopping to run. But you're going to spend two minutes anyway through a 24-hour race. You're going to have these scheduled several-minute breaks. Um, so I think that's something that I might as well make it worth your while. Uh, as far as you know, pre-prep race, I would. I, I wouldn't necessarily change anything if I just met up my team the day before and be like, oh, guys, we're going to change this today. I'm not really sure that's such a hot idea. Uh, but what I would do is I would start you know, several weeks uh, ahead of time before that and try to get you guys all on the same page from there, uh, get, get going on a lower extremity maintenance program, um, you know, definitely rolling, definitely using the, the rock and roller, definitely using some rock balls. Uh, taping is a great thing to do in race as well, except that you're going to be a little sweaty. A little. Um, yeah, a little sweaty. <laughs> We're going to be covered in mud head to toe. Yeah, yeah but uh, but you could you could definitely 
kind of I've taped people during uh, different tough waters and whatnot. It, you could still, as long as you carried alcohol with you and stuff like that, it's a little it's, bit much to ask. I would say, literally, I would look at the things that that I overuse the most and try to use rock tape to facilitate or, or as a uh, yeah to kind of facilitate that action. So, definitely do you have not. a do you have a prescription maybe to like some kind of like ankle flush like? My teammate Miguel rolled his ankle last year, and is there an in-action kind of attack that you can do to just get somebody's ankle backfiring 100% again, or at least as the best that it could be in a situation like that? Sure. I mean, the the best thing that I can say in like in action um, would be a compressive band. Um, we we use a bunch of compressive banding. Uh, It'd be kind of hard to to carry, so that would be interesting. But there is additional techniques that that there are out there besides you know rock tape type things. Um, but like the the, the flossing, the the mobility flossing bands out there um, mm-hmm. are, would be still my number one go to. And I honestly think that rock tape has discussed about you know producing some of those things. They they've definitely been in the works, whether they come out for 2016 or not. You know maybe we'll have some new goodies in the in the bags out there, but. Um, to give you the honest answer, and I think that's more important, is is yeah, I, I look at some type of flossing or flushing technique where you'd use a compressive band, and you'd be able to do some flexion extension maneuvers, especially because it doesn't require you to um, to adhere uh, anything to the skin. Um, but if somebody had a, an injury like you're talking about, Miguel, there, man, I would have him uh, taped up in, in rock tape before that, though. Yeah. Well, you know, that's interesting that he brought that up because uh, I actually wrote an article about uh, ankle injuries in OCR because it seems to be, lately, it seems to be what shows up the most. Guys are jacking their ankles up a lot. And so uh, part of what I think needs to be discussed here is, as you started to allude towards, is that it's preparatory, what you do weeks before the event to uh, set yourself up for greater success. You don't want to be in a position where, you find out the day of the race that your ankles are susceptible to to twisting. I mean, certainly stuff happens, right? But short of that, making sure that you you have good range of motion, good mobility, good capacity for functional dorsiflexion, and being able to have good range in your ankles. And so going back to using tools like the rock and roller, doing some rolling techniques and myofascial release, using the balls, and the balls are kind of new to me, and I think they're interesting. Apparently, Rock Tape has a set where it's like, <laughs> and I got to laugh because I, I saw Greg do the little video clip of promoting the yeah. ball. He says, yeah, it comes in a two-ball pack, and, it, and it's in a sack. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, I get, I'm, not sure. I'm pretty sure that, that was that was done intentionally, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got a feeling, too. I, I love it, too, because, you know, one's a little bigger than the other one. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and one's spiky. Yeah, one's spiky, one's soft, I but, guess. I mean, I, I, there's so a the, lot of... So the smaller ball uh, that's smooth, that's used for being more pinpoint and getting into real tight regions, right? Can yeah. You so we touch on we, that for us. Yeah, we we use we have two different balls, and one is one is spiky, and one is smooth, and one is larger, and one is smaller, and uh, we can make all the inside jokes we want about those, right? But uh, but there is an actual reason there was thought process behind that. The spiky one itself, um, it, it, it allows you to get that, that proprioceptive awareness that we're talking about. If you come all the way from back in the, the time of proprioceptive pads, where I'm sure you use them in the, in the, you know, the functional you know, rehabilitation world, um, man, I think Yonda was the first one to kind of start doing stuff with that. 
um, Vladimir Yonda, he had like he was very big in the feet, and he had these spikes that would come up in in the pads, uh, so that they would hit the the most mechanoreceptors in the bottom of the foot to awaken and uh, awaken the foot up. Uh, I think that's where Rock Tape was going with that. Is we are able to you know depress very focal areas of the skin with it, which will you know awaken those mechanoreceptors. Because remember, um, that's what we're really trying to activate, right? We don't feel you know tightness in the skin or uh, or anything like that. We can have a neurological reset, and I and I think that's a hard thing for people to understand because we think so mechanical, uh, but really. An, an instantaneous change is the neurologic change that we see, right? We see this neurologic reset. So uh, not to get off that tangent so much, but what we do is we use the the focal uh, ball, the smooth ball, because it's it's able to create or create this pinpoint targeting for these, you know, trigger points that we might have and stuff like that. And trigger points themselves are focal areas of, of tightness, which will limit, you know, ankle mobility or ankle functionality, anything like that, especially when we're talking about calf and, and, um, and, and the anterior, uh, anterior medial lateral compartments of the, uh, of the shin as well. So, um, we use the, the larger, uh, spiker ball. It's kind of like a, uh, a way to survey the, the, the real estate, if that makes sense. Um, and then we use the smaller ball as a way to compress those, those trigger points and, and they work out pretty well. I mean, Hey, this is a, a slightly off topic, but did you guys ever hear that Charles Pollockin's podcast, uh, Pollockin's podcast with Tim Ferriss when he said foam rolling is just a total waste of time? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that broke yeah. my heart. He also attacked kettlebells too. So Yeah, I mean, I listen, I dad, think, but... I think, I think sometimes uh, the things that Tim Ferriss says, he says on purpose to inspire controversy and i think that's a tactic i don't i don't honestly i mean let's i, I don't i don't know if i really want to you know start slashing swords with him so to speak but no uh, no 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 i i i the reason why i bring it up is because i want to hear the uh the opposing side like i heard the guys Char- charles poliquin is one of the best strength coaches in the world has put like the most olympic medalists of any strength coach in history and in, uh into the you know olympics and the guy said kettlebell swings are a waste of time. You know, myofascial release using foam rolling is a waste of time. And I still use these techniques to help myself out. And I just, you know, it's good to kind of get that information out there. It's uh, fun. Well, it's well you know, I, can, can I just kick in for a second and say this? What? Go ahead. When you... <laughs> I think this is your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you do something, when you invoke a treatment, whatever it might be, and the result of that treatment is positive. So in other words, if you got on a foam roller because your IT band was locked up, and then immediately after having done that, you notice you had freedom and movement and less pain in the knee and were capable of running, are you going to let somebody, just because they were whoever they might have been, tell you that you're ridiculous, that couldn't have helped you? No, I, I get where you're coming from. This is not me attacking the foam No, I know. I'm just saying that... I'm just saying that you got to take what a lot of these folks will will go out there and say with a grain of salt, and I think the proof is in the pudding. I mean, if you if you physically get involved in some fashion of treatment that's 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 really making a difference for you, um, you got to give it credit. You got to give credit where the credit's due. And I, I can tell you that I've used. I, I I'm going to be real honest with you, knowing that we're going to talk about foam rolling today, 
knowing that we're going to bag on the fact that if I keep sitting in this chair, I'm going to cut about 15 years off my life. I have been dedicating myself this afternoon to getting the foam. I have four foam rollers. You know, you know my place here, uh, Hunter. You know I've got these toys, but I don't use them. And, and I'm going to get out there. I'm going to be screaming like a banshee. But I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to go to work on all the hot spots. I mean, I, I'm becoming a hot spot. There's not like just this one area that I got to worry about. It's like my entire <laughs> body's jacked up. So I'm just going to go oh, to work man. and see if I can't soften some of this up. Because I know, I mean, you, well, when you came to me with IT band, I, I was digging on you, and I had, I think I took a rolling pin to you. You know, we worked it out, and that's, it works. So, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I guess without being, like, super invasive towards, towards anyone, and I, I try not to be super invasive. I'm not that type of person. But um, there's a difference between somebody's perspective and their thought process and, you know, and and just straight up, you know, literature that will show you the difference. And if you can take something that's not subjective by me saying, oh, this is a waste of time, and I can prove to you objectively that it is, I think that that that's validity. And I think that's what that science is. And unfortunately, for that statement that they're saying is there's science that backs that self-myofast release, whether, you know, using a foam roller or a, a ball or um, or even a compressive band, there is benefit in that. They've shown that there's a, a you know increase in proprioceptive awareness. They've shown that there's increase in power output, and not just power output, but the ability to contract and relax that tissue. It's the first thing that is lost uh, in a painful condition. It's not the strength, but the ability to reactively contract and relax, which is basically what you were talking about before when you said accuracy right because we have to contract and relax muscles in synchrony to bring them accurately to wherever we're trying to put them right Right, Uh, that appendix so what we see is we see an increase in the ability for those to to contract relax faster than that's that's scientific evidence so uh the people that are out there saying that you're wasting your time i'm not sure that i can that i can agree with them um as far as like temperament temporal pain uh, i'm sorry um yeah, like temporal pain or, or, you know, something in that aspect. If people want to say subjectively, yeah, listen, I, I don't feel any, I don't feel any better. Well, sure. Who am I to argue about your subjective numbers? Because what might be a two to me might be a 10 to you or vice versa. So you can argue subjectivity all the time. You cannot argue, you know, objectivity. An inch is still an inch, a mile is still a mile. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So there. I take it. <laughs> Well, you know, on that on that thread and talking about foam rolling, I, I had uh, an interesting conversation with uh, Jay DeSherry. You, you familiar with him, Tim? No, you just you keep on. I know I'm name dropping. I know I get around, dude. Well, <laughs> uh, Jay, Jay, Jay DeSherry is a physical therapist, and now he's based in Oregon. He was at the University of West Virginia, and he runs the Gate Lab. What well, did run the Gate Lab there, and has a tremendous. Actually, runs two Gate Labs now in Oregon. And he's uh, he's probably one of uh, the sharpest physical therapists where running gate mechanics is concerned uh, that I believe. And we had this conversation about rolling, and he's an absolute uh, believer in using foam rollers and also uh, using um, um, you know the, the balls to manipulate uh, fascia. But 
um, what he we talked about when is right and when is a wrong time to use a foam roller. And he, something he said, and I'm just going to get your feedback on it, was that he suggested when you're really, really fired up, when when you're really, really acute uh, with with uh, injury or pain, that's not the best time to use a foam roller because just the the nature of getting into that that pain position. I, I'm, I don't know if I'm using the appropriate terms for this, but um, you're you're going to be contracting heavily and. When the muscles are fighting what you're trying to relax, that's that's not as advantageous as if you waited and allowed some of that uh, that frustration to subside before you uh, attempted the rolling. What's your thoughts on that? My thoughts are, I think that's first of all the reason why we have different mobility tools. You know, so if you use something like the rock and roller that has a very broad scope, it's going to be uh, much less invasive than if you use something like the smaller, more most focal smooth ball, which is definitely going to be too much at that particular time. But um, you do want to try to stay out of a super painful, uh, provocative type of uh, position because that's just going to invoke those sympathetic reflexes, that fight or flight type of thing. And and sure, you're probably not going to get the best bang for your buck then. But um, if you can use the technique itself as a way to help you relax, I think that is a benefit. Like, you know, so there's different ways in which you can roll, so to speak, um, to affect the, that that system a little bit differently because although we use the, more, the term mechanoreceptors all the time, there's actually several different types of mechanoreceptors and those several different types of mechanoreceptors are affected by different techniques. So example, you know, uh, smooth, slow, deep pressure affects a different mechanoreceptor than a fast, rapid, quick pressure. So um, if we're able to affect the neurology a little bit differently, I think that we can still have a benefit. However, I do always tell people that it's done to your tolerance level. So um, there's ways that we can kind of uh, decrease the intensity as far as not putting your weight, your full weight on it, um, and, and kind of still keep it as like this relaxing type of uh, massage almost technique. I think it's important to still roll relatively early uh, before and after uh, events because you have metabolites that collect within your tissues and it's those metabolites which kind of cause these secondary issues that we have, right? The DOMs and everything else that we see like there. Um, so if we can evacuate those metabolites the quickest we can, we're going to have less of that irritation. It's like pumping in acid, like literally acid, you know? Um, like when you get that stitch in your side, that's comes because it's a lactic acid buildup. It's a, it's a hydrogen ion collection, right? So it literally acts as a, as an erosive to those materials. And that's why you get this burning. So even though you're evacuated, I mean, we all, we've all seen fight club, right? You know, like you, when, when you pour the, the, the lye or the, the base on, on uh, or the acid on somebody's skin, although you poured the, the basic solution on there, there was still a scar. And I know it's not that intense, Right, we're not saying that people are doing stuff like that, but we're simply saying that if we can get that irritative, that erosive material out of out of uh, that that appendage the quickest we can, why not do it? Why not flush it out there and let that you know those those new nutrients come in and replenish that system? So what you're, so what you're suggesting is a progressive approach. Maybe start lighter, broader strokes, not as much body weight. And then as things start to settle down, start to get a little bit more specific and dig in a little deeper and 
and then just progressively get to the root of the problem and do the best you can and maybe evolve down to the smaller ball and really get at the pinpoint areas that need the most of attention? Is that kind of what you're thinking? That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that everything should start as a flushing type of technique, especially post-activity, and then you can work to more of a manual self-myofascial release technique. And what I say, when I, I'm not necessarily, maybe I don't make sense when, I, when I'm saying there's a difference in them, but uh, there's definitely a difference in pressure and there's a difference in length in which you're going to spend over that time um, on, on those tissues, right? Right. Like, like um, uh, you, you, we use compressive boots now, right? You, everyone, obviously, I'm sure you guys Normatex. use them. Yeah, sure. Uh, Normatec is one of them. There's several different brands out there, but that's exactly what they're trying and attempting to do is flush metabolites from whatever whatever area they're compressing, right? So whether you use them on your legs, hips, thighs, um, arms, you, everything like that. Do you think muscle stems are, are basically doing the same exact thing, just through a different kind of a vessel? Uh, uh, <laughs> I have a, a little problem with muscle stem. Um, stem itself, it hasn't there's not a whole bunch of new research out there that says that they it does a whole bunch however you know there's the things out there like the mark pro and stuff like that uh where it's kind of a reinvention of of old russian stem which causes an actual fasciculation in the tissue so Mm -hmm. i think that there's a benefit to like to types like i think compact is another one out there i think there's a, a benefit to those types of of stimulation where they're causing uh, the the muscle to fasciculate. So it's not necessarily the stim, like that, oh, it feels so good stim, that is a lot of benefit, but it's that, that continual oscillating contraction of the tissue, mm-hmm. uh, which helps actually move fluid that I think does give some benefit. So uh, it, again, it depends on the application, just like anything, just like the application could be wrong if we try to roll too hard immediately after activities. So if you could... Uh, I'm just going to keep on going back to things like I've never learned any of this stuff. If if you could give out some of the fundamentals of what you think athletes in the the running community or you know OCR community could could start tackling, like the ABCs, what are a few things um, that people people should know? Because sometimes I need to be reminded. Like I sometimes I'll go like a month without touching a foam roller, or you know whether it be rogue bands or whatever else it is. You know, what do you think that every athlete should be doing on a weekly basis? So I think my first thing that I would say to everyone uh, would be to do something every day. You know, a lot of times, so I'll, I'll go through the things that I'm talking about in a second, but a lot of times people, they, they like to collect it. It's like, uh, it's like collecting like, like food points, like, oh, I, I ate well this week so I can, you know, go eat pizza and get drunk this weekend and nothing will happen. Hell uh, yeah. It, it doesn't work like that. So it's much more important to, to do something small every single day over like, you know, over a long period of time than it is to, Oh, I don't do anything because I feel good for this week. And then I'm starting to get sore. So now I'm going to mobilize for an hour. It, it, we don't get any, any, uh, any benefit from that. Like, you know, if I told somebody to go into the gym who wanted to get bigger biceps and they just went in once a month, but they worked out for 12 hours during the gym, I would say they get a lot better results by going to the gym for 10 minutes every day. Um, so that would be the first start, um, is do something every single day. Okay. What number? What's B? B would be to start from the ground up. Uh, taking care of your feet, the things that touch onto the ground, uh, would be my first step because those are that's kind of where all the dysfunction tends to begin because that's your constant contact with the, uh, with the earth, right? So I would say... That we're just going to start to, to make sure that we're rolling out 
our plantar fascia, the bottom portions of our feet every day. And you could use that with one of the rock balls or uh, either a smooth one or a hard one. I would, after we rolled, suggest to get in there and make sure that we're doing some stuff with uh, stable, stabilization drills of the foot. One of the ones that we do all the time is uh, we just walk on our heels, walk on our toes, walk on the outsides, walk on the insides uh, and uh, of our feet. So, oh, and then walk backwards as well. And again, this is nothing at all difficult. This should be very, very simple. Um, but it allows you to to be proprioceptively aware of what your foot feels like when it's turned on the you know outside or when it's turned on the inside. So it's not this like, oh man, I I never felt this before. And you learn how to support and and uh, kind of keep that stable in those positions. And then I would definitely, definitely do calf, thigh, uh, and hip maintenance. <laughs> Are you peeing? Me? No, I was, I was just, no, I was just pouring in some pee into my cup. I'm sorry. <laughs> it did sound like you were peeing too. I was like, man. Well, I see. We needed to clear it up because everybody else is going to think he was. <laughs> no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying to make a cup of tea, man. I get so dehydrated down here in Miami. I, I can't stop peeing yellow when I do pee. But I apologize if I made you think that. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It would have been like some uh, old naked gun type of. Thing. Oh man, I felt violated there for a minute. <laughs> All right, I wouldn't tell you if I was anyway. <laughs> He's like, no, I just made Steve. It really is shaking it, right? No, no, no. Oh, All right, so did we did we get C? Is C the so, calf and the so thigh? Was, yeah, we'd work back up. So, yeah, C would be definitely the calf. And not only the calf, but where people forget so much of is that outside, like, anterior front portion um, of the shin area there because we it, that's responsible for, like, lifting up our foot, you know, um, and you'll be able to feel those if you just put your fingers on the outside of your, your, your shin and you lift your toes up. You'll feel those muscles contract. So imagine how much harder you have to lift your toes when running over obstacles and running up and down hills on even terrain. Um, that's a, a tissue that gets overworked very, very quickly. So rolling, you know, getting on the rock and roller on that uh, is going to be so, so important. So, uh, so basically we started this map of the bottom of the foot, the calf, and then getting to the outside portion of the of the shin area there, um, and then I would just uh, I would make sure that I I went lightly over top of um o- over the quads and the and the thighs and and made sure that I got the butt off. The the final thing that I would make sure that I did on a daily basis would be some making sure that I was able to roll my low back so that I twist. We we forget so much the importance of rotation, torso rotation, and running, and I'm sure that um you know that Rich could. To touch on this it's uh, people that have a lot of back problems have the a lot of times have the ability to control that rotative you know force that happens in running um so we you know definitely rolling as well on that if we did encounter some of these pains this is where, where we can definitely start using our taping techniques as well um as far as the upper extremity stuff i think that that can kind of go on an as-needed basis if you have very overhead you know a very poor overhead mobility then uh, getting on things like the you know the overhead hand ladder and stuff like that is going to be difficult. So these are kind of like as needed basis. But um, people are always going to be running. That is the constant for it, right? And certain people have better better aspects in different parts. You know, uh, if I could just toss this in, what I've done in my world and re- realize too, Tim, that I'm I'm getting old. Okay, I'm like double your age. I'm looking at your picture right here. I, I yeah, I know. Don't do that. <laughs> But the point is, um, I spend a lot of time barefoot. And it's funny because, like, I've had clients come to see me, 
and I'd be wearing shoes, and they were disappointed. They say, hey, you know, uh, I'm really kind of surprised you're wearing shoes because so-and-so told me that when they come to see you that you're always barefoot. And I tend to stay barefoot as often as possible during the day to just develop this this whole relationship with the ground. And I found that it works for me quite a lot I because mean, I suffered from a lot of back pain when I was younger. And I had some serious issues with my back when I was younger. And I really don't have any back problems anymore. And it's astounding, given the amount of time that I sit, that I don't have back trouble. Uh, but I think I attribute it a lot to the fact that I do stay barefoot a lot. And I also do use, I have a, a little roll, like a wooden dowel that's got some knobs on it that I use. I just keep it in my kitchen. And I will roll my foot, the bottom of my foot, my, my plantar fascia daily. I, yeah. I, I do make a point to use that. I have a lot of bad habits, but that's probably the only facial movement that I create in my life, except for what I'm going to do to myself later on today. Yeah, I would say that the foot is one that we forget so often of, and it's still probably the most important part of of our ability to, you know, our locomotor system, right? So, like, the biggest, I, I don't know, like, something that I, that I struggle with and I struggle to try to make sure that people understand is that, that we basically put gloves on our feet every single day. So we wonder why they become so deconditioned and so susceptible to injury. But if I put your hand in a cast, you know, for every day for eight hours a day, uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise you that you easily can sprain or or overstrain your hand. But that's exactly what we do to our feet. I, I have a, all the respect and a lot of it, uh, uh, a lot of re, a lot of validity in the. I think there's a lot of validity in the in the uh, barefoot running community. And not only just barefoot running, but yeah, sure, barefoot walking. Like we want to condition your feet. They're part. They're, they are the foundation for the rest of your body. If they're not conditioned, how do you expect, you know, the the pillars, the the legs, uh, to uh, to hold up the house, the body, you know? Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of tra- training the feet, one of the weird things I picked up. I I used to work out with this uh, surfer who's my neighbor named Laird Hamilton. Oh yeah, he he's would a have- little guy, huh? No, no, yeah, I'm not, he's not like my best friend, but yes. The, the Small guy, guy in, the, in the world of surfing, right? So, dude, the guy would lift on on golf balls. He would do bicep curls and press overhead on golf balls. He would do, you know, different kind of squat and lunges and kettlebell movements on this pad of very spiky, like, you know, almost kind of like little tacks made of plastic. And it was yeah, that, that sounds was, like one of those pro-pro pads I was talking about before. It, it was mind-blowing. I thought to myself, I'm like, this is the craziest thing. I'm not going to lift on a bunch of golf balls. Does he whip but, his back with a chain, too? <laughs> no. It's interesting to hear from somebody who's uh, from the specialist side. I thought it was just some kind of voodoo magic that he was doing. But, uh, you know, it's cool to hear about this stuff. I mean, the flack line, as I said, I keep on coming back to that. Has already started to give me big improvement in just how I'm feeling like when I'm running and uh, just my balance overall. And I'm definitely doing that barefoot always. So I mean, it's right. interesting. Well, you're, you're definitely conditioning those intrinsic tissues, right, for stability, rather than using those big prime movers. We're so good at conditioning prime movers, right? You know, especially out here in Jersey, that's all anybody ever does is they, they condition prime movers, packs, fives, you know, tries. No, no legs. Nobody does legs out here. But um, but it's not about that's not what keeps us safe. Like prime movers don't keep us safe; they allow us to move tissue. 
It's those small intrinsic muscles that support and stabilize that keep us safe. If not, no bodybuilder in the world would ever get injured. But we see them all injured all the time. They're yeah. probably the first of us. Well, I think Pilates was one of the guys that really kind of brought to light the, the importance of using the um, uh, stabilizer muscles in in preference to the the prime movers and getting getting things sorted out that way before you start you know start with the little muscles and the ones that are responsible for balance and then start working their way up right yeah absolutely I mean you can't build a stone house on a straw foundation right. you know and that's what people try to do well that's kind of what I've done <laughs> I, I, I keep bagging on myself I, I I'm also almost going to get apologetic for it to myself but I'll tell you what really drove me home with a lot of this is that when, I don't know who the the mind behind the madness was that came up with this rock tape manifesto. And it's built around these studies that, I'm just going to read this off. It says, it's estimated that Americans sit 9.3 hours a day, which is even more than we spend sleeping, which is about 7.7 hours a day. And our bodies weren't built for that. And it's starting to take its toll. Sitting six or more hours per day makes you up to, get this, 40% more likely to die within 15 years than someone who sits less than three hours a day. Even if you exercise for an hour a day, your risk is still higher than if you sit for long periods of day. So this kind of slapped me right upside the head because I will go out. I was at the track this morning, and I typically will be out doing something with people six days a week, every morning, early, around 6, 6.30 in the morning. But then after about 10 o'clock, I'm on my butt until I'm on my back. And I think that, 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 that just i got to stop that, right? But yeah. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Hunter. I just want to know, I, I keep on hearing people talk about this stuff, and it, it starts to rattle my brain, and I start to think back. Like, So if they people weren't sitting down back in these you know old days, what the heck were they doing all the time? How would they rest? Like I try to like position myself on the couch. I'm like, how would they do it back in the day? But like what was, how do you how do you spend your time throughout the day if you're trying to avoid the sitting position? I know people didn't stand 15 hours a day. Well, they're milking cows, man. They're, they're yeah. shucking <laughs> corn, milking cows. What would, you know, cave, what would the cave people do though? Like I they were running from tigers. Yeah, That's running true, from from freaking dinosaurs and stuff. They Hiding. had to have some kind of downtime. You we know, figure you know when uh, the the huge like increase in low back pain came was when we invented the chair because. You know, naturally, we're supposed to sit into a deep squat. That's how our predecessors did it, and that's how even most of the uh, the Eastern cultures still sit. And if you look at those cultures, is they have a significantly less, uh, uh, a significantly lower rate in low back pain uh, because they're able to kind of get into that deep squat position, and it's not limited. Our hips, like, just squat at ninety degrees. Like, it's down. hard. It's hard, right? Yeah. So imagine limiting yourself, like, like. For that, for for not just a day, for decades, you know, for a lifetime, um, the the chair is although a convenient, uh, you know, object that we have, it's definitely not the way. It doesn't express, you know, hu- like human potential at its finest. That's for sure. But wouldn't that still promote that kind of like anterior slump? Like when I sit down, like when I'm around a campfire and I'm kind of in that low squat, you know, kind of making brownies, whatever the heck you do out there, <laughs> more. At, you're you're slouching over. Your shoulders are down. Your neck's down. You're all slouched like this. And that's another thing I always try to be like very cognizant of. Like when I sit up, I like pinch my shoulder blades back and I lengthen through my neck. And I try to see 
what's the perfect way to hang out if you're trying to avoid a chair? I don't think that you would hang out like that if you did that forever. So you've already adapted to these these shortened positions to begin with. You know, yeah. somebody, if you look at a baby, do you ever look at a baby? Them squat, <laughs> right? They, they don't, they don't, when they, in that bottom of that squat and they're playing with a toy, they, they yeah. look like, like a robot. They're in such a perfect position. It's because yeah. they haven't had time to adapt. First of all, they can't sit in a chair. They're too short right now. But, <laughs> but, uh, they haven't had time to adapt to those, those, you know, changed positions. Uh, they haven't changed the, the geometry of their anatomy yet. So, um, I think you suffer from that because of, you know, the, the 20, 30 years that, uh, that you've already sat like that. How dare you tell me what I suffer from? Sorry. <laughs> First of all, he hasn't been doing it for 30 years yet. I'm how, only 26. How, yeah. Yeah, well, well, you know, plus a year of incubation, right? Right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. true. It's a crouch position. Yeah. Fetal. <laughs> Fetal, right? Uh, yeah. You sat, you sat in that position for nine months and you didn't have a problem then when you popped out, did you? Uh, I guess you're right. You know, I got uh, more complaining. Dean Carnassus um, never sits down. I think when he does all, he's got one of those walking desks where he's actually, you know, he'll be on a treadmill basically while he's on the computer. And, that's all. That's cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I thought about it. I thought about actually raising my entire desk up so that I could be standing and doing things. Um, I just haven't got around to it. I, I don't know. It just seems so cumbersome. You know, to try. I think it's Google and I might be wrong. Somebody's probably going to listen to your podcast and totally call me out on this, but, uh, I think it's Google that's doing this study where they have these mechanical desks that change every 20 minutes, and they have a selected population, obviously, that they're that are injury-free to begin with and stuff like that. But every 20 minutes, they only have one chair, and the desk raises and lowers from a standing to a sitting desk every 20 minutes. Wow, that'd be, that'd be the most annoying thing in the world. You would imagine, but what they found <laughs> is that their work output is greater than the people that are just sitting. Huh. Why don't they just get a chair that launches you back up to standing every now and then? Right. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, it was, I wish I had the study. I wish I, was, I wish I was that guy that knew every study that he read in his life because then I would sound really smart right now. Right. Well, they're doing this thing. I think Kelly Stratt is promoting it. It's like the stand-up for kids or something like that where they're, yeah, they're yeah, starting he's, to uh, standing desk school. Yes. I, I love it, too. Um, he's doing it out in California, though, right? It hasn't yeah. made it to the yet. Of course, I'm um, not going to make it to the East Coast. People are too late. Ten more years, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, just, we don't do obstacle races or anything like that. We just smoke cigarettes and sit on chairs. <laughs> That's right. I, I mean, I wonder. I mean, I, I hope to see that there's some kind of, like, miraculous change in the kids. Like, if you saw the bat, body mass index, like, below 20% and like, all the students who went through the school, that'd be pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, hey, that's how literature starts. Well, right? the problem, I think the part of the problem with kids is that they're starting to cut PE out. You know, they're starting to think, well, that's not important. Yeah. That's, that's really ridiculous. And then the kids getting away, I mean, don't get me started, getting away oh. with having to actually do something in PE instead right. of sitting on the grass and looking at their uh, cell phone and texting their buddy that skipped out, right? Oh, gosh. it's uh, I Yeah, I can talk about that for days, too, but I think some real file a suit against this if I keep on rambling about right. that. Right. Dude, I was just at Walmart and I was over there buying a BB gun and there's all these people riding around in those little rascals. And I walk I, I watch them and they get up and they go get out of their chair, they go grab a couple things, walk around like there's nothing wrong with them and they sit back down and then they scoot around the store. Everybody's getting so lazy. Yeah. Did you ride you one? Got, <laughs> I should have. Yeah, he's like and and he, that's why Hunter was pissed. He's like the real part of the story starts out like this. I went to 
to Walmart and I wanted a freaking rascal, but there was none left. None of them. All these guys walking around and they look like they're moving fine. Uh, I think they're, you know, the moral of the story is we need to get a Walmart. That's where the problem starts. Yeah. 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 Wow. We're starting to get crazy now. Yeah, right. Uh, well, sorry. Okay, so let's kind of let's see if we can wrap this up a little bit. I want to talk about, um, first of all, the, those that are listening, I highly recommend that they visit the Rock Tape site, rocktape.com, because a lot of people might think, eh, I don't need any tape, but they don't realize that there's so much more going on and that the fact is they're very much into movement, movement prep, and things that you can do and things that we should do, things we should be thinking about in order to keep us in a better place so that we don't need a lot of different types of intervention. Uh, and intervention, what I'm speaking of, ha- having to go see somebody like Tim because you're jacked up and he's trying to get you f- fixed. Sorry, Tim. No, that's great. And I think that I think the most important thing to say about Rock Tape is that we talk about all the time is, yes, that we're not a taping company, we're a movement company, but I think our biggest thing is is that we want you to move more because people that move more often move better, you know, or we want right. you to move better because people that often move better move more. Wow, I messed that one up. That's good. It was good. Nobody cares. Yeah. But at, at the end of the day, when we're talking about some of these devices and everybody has heard of or owns a foam roller that they don't use, and I think an important message that needs to be brought to light, and I think you did a good job talking about it, was if you start progressively and you kind of start with kind of a flushing approach, just kind of work from the bottom, work your way up, and cause it to be kind of a daily maintenance, yeah, regardless of whether you think you need it. And I, I've never met anybody that got on a foam roller that didn't find something that needed a little more attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a good practice to, to get involved in that type of thing. And then take it a step further and have these balls, the sets you can buy. And, you know, you get a little bit more uh, focal with it. We get into points where you have a little issue, you get a little bit more concentrated with your efforts to try to bring things to light. And and I, I just think it's a very new approach to maintenance. And I know foam rollers have been around a long time, but the whole concept of myofascial release is still foreign to a lot of folk. They need to look into it because if you're beating yourself up a lot in OCR, they're, they're religious about beating themselves up every weekend, which is something that I have a problem with. I hate it. I hate it. (laughs) Well, you know what I'm talking about, man. I mean, I talk to people that are racing three and four times in a weekend. And and I'm not talking about light races. You know, you go, okay, I'm going to do the ultra, then I'm going to do the ultra beast, and I'm going to top it off with a sprint at the end of the weekend. And so go from doing things that are really, really putting you in a bad place to something you're going to do really short and at high intensity. You talk about a recipe for disaster, that's the way to do it. It's those um, typical weekend warriors, dudes, like yeah. punch drunk love, getting out there and throwing down. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're going to go that route, you definitely need to do something to, to take care of the system, keep the keep the engines firing properly. And, I mean, we go on and on and on about this, wouldn't you think? Right. It's a performance aspect, too. Like even if even if you don't want to think about the health aspect because we are so good at, at forgetting about that and being naive to that, if you want to perform better, it's, again, the limiting factor to performance is still recovery. So you still have to recover so you can perform better. And the people out there that do the best at that um, often often are, you know, those best people in the world, you know. Right. Hunter, are you going to Battlefrog World Championships? I thought you told me you were. 
For sure I am. I mean, if, if I can recover fast enough to do, um, to do the race after World's Toughest Mudder, it's like just under one month, then that's where I'm going to be. But I'm not going to lie. I was so messed up for a month afterwards. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't run in anything but Tevas for two months after World's Toughest Mudder because my feet looked like they'd been beaten with hammers. You've got to spend some time barefoot. I wouldn't put shoes on again until after that race if I were you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, maybe I'll run, maybe I'll do it barefoot. Yeah, run on grass. Just kind of get condition that whole system. Get ready to go, man. Yeah. So, so you you guys feeling pretty pretty uh, pretty spunky? You think you're going to win this thing? Look, here's the thing, and I keep on telling people this. I think, um, and this says not this is not against anybody I'm, I'm up against uh, in a negative way, but I think fitness is going to be trumped by friendship. I think everyone I have on my team is a very close friend of mine, and I can trust them. In any situation, whether it you know be them taking care of someone in my family or taking care of this race, like I trust them all. They're good guys, and I think any a million things can happen over a 24-hour period. And I I think everyone who's going to be contending for the title is fit enough to get that title. And whether or not we get the hundred miles and that big cash prize is another thing. But I think it's most dependent on who's by your side. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be be all about you know talking about beer farts and girls while we're out there just having a good time because it's it's not going to be until those last hours of the entire race that uh, anything's really going to matter about your positioning because everyone's going to be up there pushing the threshold the entire time. And, and I can't wait to see a good race. Whether I get knocked out the first lap or I last it all the way through and win this thing, I think it's one of the greatest experiences throughout the year for athletic events. Well, there you go. So awesome. I, wa- I want to also touch on the fact that those that are listening to this need to visit the WADDOC. I'm, I'm going to screw this up, right? WADDOC.com, right? Yeah, it's, it's the WADDOC or WADDOC. I have both of them. The WADDOC.com because yeah. there are a just a plethora of information and videos available. I mean, you, what do you got? Like, you must have about 400 videos on there, right? 482 is today. Uh, today's 483. The only reason I know is because I do it every day. So, so. wow. Well, congratulations, I, man. That's very hard to do. I make one post a week, and I feel like I'm. It's crazy. rough. It's we're, rough. We're looking. We're 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 hunting for a thousand. That's the goal. That's the inside goal. Wow. Good, good luck to you. Wow. You're gonna have to reinvent the wheel, man. You're gonna have to come up with different body parts to talk about. To get a thousand. I, I need to get into more sports, and I'm going to start. I'm going to start jumping after the OCR community. You've got to pay attention to this. I'll tell you, I've been drawing athletes into the OCR world ever since it clicked for me. When I started to realize how big this is, I started to just kind of bend all my rules and direct myself towards it because um, they need they need support. They they it's an in, infancy. We talked about this early on, but they need help, and uh, it's powerful. It's just going to be a big deal, you know. It's CrossFit, but it's running. But it's also very difficult. Right. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> we're like the red, we're like the rednecks of the running community. It's a hybrid. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hybrid. It's, it's very. It's you know. It's a collection of a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate you both coming on. And uh, Hunter, am I going to see you before World's Toughest? Are you coming out this way? You and I got a whiskey date the week before World's Toughest. Month. That's what I'm talking about, brother. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, look, I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks a lot for coming on. Rocktape.com, thewaddoc.com, 
And Hunter McIntyre, you find him on a rant. Boy, dude, you are. I, I tell you what, you remember, you're starting to sound and look a lot like Jerry Lewis, man. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Don't judge. I'm having a good time. <laughs> I know you are. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Talk. See you guys. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.